Well, hey, Crossroads, so good to see you. My name's Dwayne, I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been looking forward to sharing with you today. I want to encourage you to take a moment, look in your program, and pull your outline out. There's a place you can follow along and take notes, and uh, the verses we'll be looking at are printed there for you. I think that you'll find that very helpful. And we've been in this series on James, and you know, we've been uh, going through a chapter a week. I hope you've been reading it with us. And I want to encourage you one last time as we wrap up today, this week, read the five chapters of James again. Read through that and kind of refresh and uh, kind of hone in on those lessons we've been talking about. And each week we've been uh, covering a chapter, but today I have two chapters to cover. So I hope you brought your lunch with you, okay? So let's dive in. Just kidding. Uh, Anyway, James, I believe James is one of the most important books in the Bible. In the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tells us all about Jesus and his life and what he did and how God used him. Paul spent a lot of his letters explaining our faith and also telling us how to live. James really hammers in like, hey, it's not enough to know the right stuff. It's not enough to believe the right stuff. It has to impact your life. It has to transform you. That a real, genuine, saving faith will change more than where you spend eternity. It'll change your life here on this earth. So I want you to think about it with me this way. Let's play along with me for a minute here. You guys seem like you're just a little sleepy this morning. So imagine, uh, if, not imagine, do you, do you agree with these statements? Do you agree with the statement that you, if you would eat more vegetables and less meat, especially red meat, I'm not saying eat none, but you'd eat less meat, more vegetables, that you would be healthier? Raise your hand. Keep those hands up. How many of you believe that? I, mean, I believe it. Not saying I do it, I believe it. How many of you keep those hands up? If you, how many of you believe that it would be healthy to cut your sugar intake way back? Especially sodas, desserts, juice. You're going, now you're meddling, Pastor. Keep those hands up. All right, how many of you believe you'd be healthier if you spent less time looking at a computer screen, a TV screen, your phone, your laptop, whatever, and, and moved a little bit more? How many of you think you'd actually be a little healthier and you might even feel better and look better? Okay, last one. How many of you, oh, I don't see a lot of hands. How many of you believe this stuff? Come on, work with me here. How, how many of you believe that if you would get a little more regular sleep, that you'd be healthier and you'd feel better? All right, see, look at all those hands. Now, how many of you are actually doing it? See, see the difference? Not, most of the hands went down. Maybe we're working on it, but we're not really doing it. See, you believe something, but it's not really changing your life, or it's not changing your life very much. And James says that we don't want to have that kind of faith. James wants us to have a faith. If you really believe it, it's going to change your life, your spiritual life, your emotional life, your relational life. It's going to change everything about your life. The reality is knowing the right things and believing the right things isn't going to help you if you're not living based on that, if you're not living it out. So I want you to write this down. Genuine saving faith in Jesus will transform me, will transform me, will change me. It's like this story. It's a true story. This guy, Ron, he was assigned to work with some mentally handicapped teenagers. And nobody really believed in these kids. Nobody believed they could do very much with them. But Ron chose to, to, to think differently. And he said, I believe these kids can do things that nobody's given them credit for. And he started teaching them things. They learned how to play chess. They learned how to do practical things like repair furniture and repair small electrical appliances. And, and Ron realized that he was getting through to these kids. He was teaching them, to not, not, not just teaching them stuff, but teaching them to believe in themselves. One day, one of the kids, he showed up with a broken toaster under one arm 
and a half a loaf of bread under the other. See, he knew that together they could fix that toaster, and he brought that bread in faith, knowing he's going to have some toast by the end of the day. Are you with me? He's like, man, he taught these kids to believe in themselves. He taught them that they could do something, and they could be somebody, and they started believing in themselves, and their life started changing. And that's what James says to us. Probably the key passage for the whole book of James. James chapter 2. He says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. He said, just to believe the right things is not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. It's got to produce something in your life. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my, my faith by my good deeds. He's saying if you believe this stuff, it's going to show up in your life. You're not just going to go to church on Sunday and put a little money in the plate and read your Bible. It's going to affect every part of your life. Jesus said it this way. He said, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What you say, what you do flows from what's in your heart. The kind of person you are, your character, it flows from inside of you. And he's saying what you really believe is what's going to come out of you over time. See, faith is like a young fruit tree, and as it grows, as you plant that seed... It begins to grow and mature, and it begins to produce fruit, more and more fruit over time. And God wants your faith. It's like that seed planted in your life. He wants it to produce things in your life. And so he knows. He knows that James says, man, it's not enough just to believe the right things. Not just to, but you gotta, it's got to infect or affect your life. So imagine if someone could follow you around like a, like a little fly on the wall. They could watch you for 24 hours or 48 hours. Imagine they could see everything you did. They could hear how you talked to everybody, how, all the stuff that you did and said for 24 or 48 hours. What kind of fruit would they see in your life? What would that lead them to believe that you really have faith in? James was addressing this issue. It was just like today, they had this issue in the church, this issue of hypocrisy where people say they believe something, but they don't really live it out. Over the years, as I've tried to invite people that don't go to church to come with me, uh, one of the most common excuses I've heard is, well, why should I go to church? Those people in the church are no better than us. They don't act any different than people who don't believe in God. And that's what James is saying. No, that's not real faith. So I want to look at three areas with you of where faith will transform your life. Number one on your outline first there is my heart. Let's do a little heart check. Transform my heart. The source, Jesus said, what comes out of you comes from your heart, comes from within you. James says, where do you think all these appalling war, wars and quarrels come from? All your conflict, where do all these things come from? Do they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way. And you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You almost have like this inner turmoil coming on. You lust for what you don't have and you're willing to kill to get it. Now, I don't think we have any killers here today. I hope not. But what he's saying is, man, you want things so bad. You'll take advantage of people. You'll shade the truth. You'll, you'll, you'll maybe pad your numbers at your business account. You'll, you'll misrepresent what you're able to, to do for someone. You'll bend rules and you'll do things so you can get ahead. He says, you want what isn't yours and you will risk violence to get your hands on it. And he says, you wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? 
And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. And then James says, you're cheating on God. He literally says, you adulterers. They're like spiritual adulterers. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God in his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. So let me give you a few questions to wrestle with. I hope you'll wrestle with these this week as uh, you do a little heart examination. Is your faith really changing your heart? I'd like you to ask yourself, who am I living for? Who am I living for? Whose agenda is driving my life? You know, am I trying to figure out what God wants me to do and how he wants me to live during the day? Or am I more concerned about figuring out what I want, what I want to do to get it, and asking God to come along into my life and bless my plans? Who are you living for? When you get up and go to school or you go to work, are you thinking just about how you can get ahead and how you can make more and get more and do more? Or are you thinking about, man, how can I live today in a way that would bless and honor my, my Heavenly Father? I mean, I want to go to work. I want to work with integrity. I'm grateful I get a chance to work and earn a living and provide for my family. But not just thinking about me. How can I be a blessing to others? How can I, how can I be a blessing to my coworkers, to my customers? How can I be a light? How can I pray for or impact someone in my life that needs hope and help? You know, how can I make work hard and make more, not just so I can get more, but so I can give more, so I can help people in need. I can do more to affect other people's lives. Second question I want you to wrestle with is, who am I relying on? Am I relying on myself? I just got to struggle to get it myself? Or am I trusting that as I follow God and faithfully do what he's called me to do, work with integrity, that God will provide for my needs? Am I praying about my needs? Am I praying about what I want? Am I asking God to help me and help me to be a blessing, not just for me, but for others? And then finally, am I content with what I have? Am I content with what I have? Now, it's not wrong to want nice things. It's not what James is saying. Maybe you want to fix your house up. You want a nicer house. Maybe you want a nicer car. Maybe you want to take a nice vacation or whatever. Those, he's not saying that's wrong that you want those things. But he's saying when you're lusting after those things, like, man, these, this is what it's going to take to make me happy. If I can't be happy unless I have whatever, fill in the blank. Saying, man, it's okay. It's okay to live and work and dream but if that's what you think is going to make you happy, then you have a heart problem. Do you have inner peace? Can you be happy where you're at in life? You know, I've known some people that are pretty wealthy. I've known a few in my life. And uh, boy, a number of them, they, they have things they want. And when they get it, they're still not satisfied. They still want more. And having more is not what's going to satisfy your heart. Second, second area where your faith will transform you is in, in your expectations, my expectations. So it's kind of the attitude that you approach life with. Do you think that, um, hey, you know, everything should, I'm, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to believe in God and live for him. Everything should just go the way I think it should go. Everything should fit into my plans. Things should be smooth. Basically this idea that I'm in control or God owes me or the world owes me. And I make my plans without consulting God and, 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 and realizing who's in control. And, and it, as I talk about it, maybe it'll make more sense how this really can trip you up if you're not living by faith. James says this in, in James 4. He gives one example. He says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? 
You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Can you underline that phrase, if it is the Lord's will? I mean, the Bible says we should make, you know, God wants us to make plans. But as we're making our plans, he wants us to pray. He wants us to look to God. God, this is where I feel you're leading me. I'm making these plans. I think this is going to happen. I'm going to try to make some money so I can do this and do that. But don't assume just because you have these plans that everything's going to work out. We don't know if we're still going to be alive tomorrow. Honestly, we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. And James is saying, you're not in control. You're not God. But when you live with these kind of expectations that everything's just going to go my way, then when they don't, you wind up getting kind of mad at God. You get frustrated with him. So here's some questions to wrestle with. Am I consulting God in my plans? Or am I just making my own plans and then expecting God to show up and help me? Are you living for God? Or are you expecting God's up there living in your life, living for you? Am I, li- am I worrying? Am I worrying? Am I living a life of worry? Uh, you know, all of us worry a little bit, right? It's, it's okay to be concerned about things and take some action and address some things, but you know the difference when you cross into worry and it's starting to eat at you and make you fearful and anxious. And, uh, you know, most, uh, for most of the day, I don't really worry a whole lot, but I tend to not sleep. I can go to sleep, and I sleep about four, maybe five hours on a good night. I just don't sleep a long time. And I wake up like 4.30 in the morning. That's when I worry. Anybody else ever do that? Well, it makes me mad. I'm like, I try to step back and pray and think. But I'll start thinking about all this stuff. And I'll start worrying. And I have to remind myself, you know what? I'm not in control. I can't. So what? If I, if I worry about it, I'm not going to change a thing. I'm going to have to trust God and look to him and take, uh, take each day, one day at a time. So if you're a person that worries a lot, maybe you, you need to ask God to change you and change your expectations. See, I'd ask you, do you live like God is in control? Do you live like God is in control? Do you trust God even in the hard times? Do you trust God in the hard times? See, it's hard. When, when, it's easy to trust God when things are going smoothly and everything's good, but when things get hard, it's hard to trust God. It reminds me of this little boy. He went to his grandma's house one summer, and he was just complaining about everything in his life. He hated his school. He hated his classmates. He didn't have great health. Um, he didn't he didn't do good in school. He didn't like his sister. He's just complaining on and on, all his problems. And grandma just quietly listened. And then after he finally shut his mouth, she said, well, she's in the kitchen, you know, doing some bacon. She said, well, here, honey, have some cooking oil. He's like, yuck, I don't want cooking oil. How about some raw eggs or some flour or, or maybe some baking soda? Maybe that would make you happy. It's like, oh, gr- grandma, why would you give me that stuff? Why would you? She said, well, son, sometimes... God in life is, is kind of like baking. You put all these things together. You don't want to eat any of that stuff by itself. But you mix in all these things together. You mix in a little sugar. And next thing you know, you have an amazing cake. And a lot of times your life's like that. There's things going on in your life you don't like, you don't want, you don't understand. But God's at work in the midst of all that, growing your character, changing you, teaching you to trust him. And he's working in your life. And God gets in the mix. And then it produces something beautiful in your life in the right time. God wants us to... Live with this expectation that he's in control, that he's in charge, that he's with us, and we can trust him. We don't have to live in worry and fear. And you know, at Crossroads, the last few years, it feels like we've been getting a lot of raw eggs and baking soda, if I'm honest. We've been through some challenges. We've been through some th- things that I, 
I'll be honest with you, I don't like. Some, sometimes I've had words with God about it. I just, I believe, you know, if something's bothering you, you talk to God about it, you're frustrated, you tell him. And you know, you think about our church, where we've been just a few years ago, three or four years ago, we were, we were so full next door, we didn't have room for more people, and we knew God led us to build a building, and, and we began to grow, uh, prepare to grow and staff up, but then our contractor, we, we finally made all these sacrifices, and our contractor made some bad decisions, one thing led to another, the building was two years late, so all that time we're full, we're full, we just can't grow anymore, we keep hitting that lid. And then we had to fire the contractor, we would have never finished. And then we wind up in court, and we had to pay bills we shouldn't have had to pay. And it just made us really strapped financially, and it's made it hard to do things. And so our, our staff, our, our leaders have just been amazing. They've been serving faithfully. Uh, even though we don't have a lot of resources for our ministry, we're still getting up one day at a time serving God and doing our best to live for Him, trusting that He's at work. But you know, as, as time has gone on, it's gotten tighter and tighter. And uh, about the time we got in this new building... I, I'm not kidding, for about a year, every weekend, someone said, we're moving out of, you know, the Bay Area because our rent got raised $500 or $700 or we can't buy a house. And it's just gotten really hard. And we're at a point where we've had to step back and make some hard decisions. And, uh, you know, we staff for growth, but we're not quite as big as we were. And we're not growing right now. We believe we're going to start growing again. We get through this season. But we can't keep, we have to trust God and look at, look at what he's given us and make some choices. And after a season of prayer, very painful uh, season, we realize that we, we have to make some changes in our staffing. We're overstaffed for where we're at right now. A very painful uh, process to go through. But we've had to lay off a couple of our beloved staff members. And, and so at the end of this month, September 1st, will be uh, Dory and JD's last day working as paid staff members. And, uh, you know, I, it doesn't... God, why more baking soda? Why more raw? What are you doing? I mean, we're going to take care of Dory and JD. We're going to take care of them as they transition. And we believe that as they faithfully follow God, God's going to provide for them and lead them. I've been through a similar season in my life, and God just showed up in amazing ways. But it still hurts, and it still hurts us as a church. And Dory, Dory wanted to share some things with you. So we're going to hear from her right now. So watch this with me. Hey Crossroads, my name is Dory. I've been one of the children's directors here at Crossroads for about five years. It's been my honor and my pleasure to be here. You know, change happens and I am no longer going to be the children's director. However, I am also not going anywhere. God has not directed us to leave, to serve anywhere else. I love Crossroads. I love this church. I love the pastors, the staff. You all are great. So this is a great opportunity for those of you who ever thought about being in kids ministry to step it up, come and join me, serve with me, serve with others. Let me tell you where my heart is right now. God has filled me with joy. You know, at first when you hear news like that, you kind of go, what? And then later on you go, God has a plan. Not only does God have a plan for me and my life and my family and what's gonna happen next, it's just a new chapter. God has a plan for everybody here at Crossroads. So I look forward to serving with each one of you. Like I said, I'm not going anywhere, so I'll see you around. You know, 
this wasn't news Dory was expecting or looking for, but I, I'm just going to tell you I've been so amazed by how she's walked through this and the faith that she's shown. And I, I, I'll be honest, I'm not feeling joy about it right now myself, but, you know, she's inspiring me. And, you know, she was serving here long before she, before she went on the paid staff. She, she and John have been here as long as me or longer, 18, 19 years. I don't know how they put up with me that long. And... Uh, or my wife either, how she put, I mean, how she, my wife puts up with me, let me say that. <laughs> Glad she was in the, she was in the service last night, don't tell her what I, I came out wrong. Uh, but, uh, you know, God's going to take care of them, and Dory believes she's still going to be here serving and uh, helping, and we have a plan going forward, it's not, was not what, it wasn't our plan. We've been praying, and this is what we feel like God's plan, and we have to trust Him, and uh, I'm fighting, you know, trying not to complain too much to God. I'm trying to say, God, I know you're at work. I know you're in this, and you're going to lead us forward. And so we thank you for that. Amazing example. Also, J.D., he's been serving so faithfully these last few weeks. He, he heard this news, and he's just continued to serve and be faithful and uh, with a great attitude. And I'm so proud of both of their examples, and I see their faith in their life, how God is working in and through them. Okay, the third thing, and so... Uh, Ushers, it'll be about five more minutes just so you can relax a minute. So third thing is my endurance. My endurance. So, you know, when you get a lot of bad news or things aren't going the way you like, I mean, human nature is just you want to quit. And I've never been much of a runner. I have a little bit of mild asthma. I have to be careful. I, I don't have, see, uh, you know, attacks where I can't breathe, but it just gets harder to breathe. And, uh, but, but I think it's just part of my nature, too. I used to run a little bit. And as soon as you get tired and all out of breath... I'm not one of those guys that just keeps pushing myself, you know. I'm just being honest. I just want to quit. It's getting hard. And God doesn't want us to be like that in life. He doesn't want us to be running this race and things get hard and we just, like, quit. I mean, things have been hard. Like I said, I'm so proud of our staff these last four or five years. It's been so difficult and they keep serving with a positive attitude, a positive spirit. I'm so proud of them. And God wants to grow. His, our faith should grow our endurance, our, our ability to persevere. James said this, meanwhile, friends, wait patiently for the master's arrival. You might circle that phrase, wait patiently. How many of you are good at waiting patiently? I'm not putting my hand up. I don't like to wait, okay? I'll just be honest, but I know some of you are good patient waiters, right? Friends, wait patiently for the master's arrival. You see farmers do this all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow but sure work. Be patient like that. Stay steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. And we don't talk about it a lot, but you know, Jesus promised that one day he's going to come back again. In fact, James was written to, to believers who were in churches they had had to run away from Jerusalem because they were being hunted down for their faith. They were being dragged out of their homes. They were being whipped, beaten, put in the arena. They made sport of with the wild animals there. And, uh, man, he's writing this letter. We don't, we don't undergo that kind of hardship. I mean, life's hard, but their life was really hard. And James says, wait patiently. See, they were getting impatient. Jesus said he's going to come back. They're like, where is Jesus? Why didn't he come back? In Second Peter, Peter tells us, Jesus is not slow in keeping his promise. He's taking his time because he wants more people to come to know him. He wants more people to put their faith in him. But he says, while you're waiting, it's not just important about what you do, but what's important is who you are. James says this, uh, Peter tells us, this is the kind of people we are to be. If you want to read that this week, just write on the side there, 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3. 
But James says we should be people of faith, of endurance. We hang in there. We don't quit. We don't give up because we believe that God is real and he's at work, even when we can't see it, even when we don't understand it. You know, I had an uncle, Uncle Cecil. That sounds like a farmer, right? He was a farmer, Uncle Cecil in Virginia. I grew up in Virginia, and I'd love to go visit his farm because, you know, every year, every year, he'd go out and plant his corn and his peanuts, and he'd plant all that stuff, and you don't know exactly what's going to happen. You don't know how it happened. I mean, some years it's too wet. Some years it's too dry. Some years there's too many bugs. Some years there were too many deer eating everything. But you know what? Every, every year he goes out and faithfully kept planting that, trusting that he was going to get a harvest. And every year, and God's taking care of him. And God wants us to do that in our lives, that we keep planting these seeds of faith, not just in our life, but in other people's lives. Don't quit. Don't give up. And so ask yourself, when life gets hard, do I give up or do I endure? Do I complain about the problems or persevere, or I do what I can in difficult times? James says this, So then, if we do not do the good we know we should do, we are guilty of sin. See, while we're waiting, God wants us to keep faithfully doing the things he's called us to do. Not to get frustrated, not to get impatient, not to give up. And a lot of times as Christians, we talk about all the bad, hurtful things we shouldn't do. But James said, sin is not just bad things I do. Sin is good things I don't do. Do you see the difference? There's some things God has commanded us to do to help others and be a blessing. And sometimes we don't do it. So I want you to wrestle with this. Am I doing what God has commanded me to do? Am I putting God first in my time, in my finances, in my thoughts, in my priorities? Have I obeyed Christ and gotten baptized? You know, if you put your faith in Jesus, one of the things he commands us to do is to get baptized. Am I helping those in need? Am I attending faithfully, showing up, encouraging my brothers and sisters? Am I praying for those who need Jesus, those who need hope? Am I sharing my faith? Am I protecting the unity of my church? See, you might be all proud of yourself. I'm not... I'm not doing all these bad things. I'm not stealing. I'm not lying. I'm not gossiping. I'm not getting drunk on the weekends. Just on Monday and Tuesday nights, but not on the weekends. I'm a pretty good person. But there's some stuff you know God's asked you to do that you're not doing because you're not putting him first. Your faith hasn't transformed your priorities. And you're, you're saying, I don't want to do that. i got other things I would rather do. And there's things he's asked you to do that you're resisting. And I, if you're like me, I mean, there's times over my life I say, oh, I want to be closer to Jesus. I want to be more like God. I want to get, and I want to do this. And I start saying, I'll do these things. I'll work harder. And when, it's, when I start thinking like that, like I'll do it, I'm not very successful. Eventually I get tired and I give up. But what God wants is we come to him and he works in our lives. So you write this down. The Holy Spirit is the change agent. I can't change myself. But my faith in God, when I say, God, I trust you, I believe you, I'm going to try my best to obey and follow you, will you help me? And when you surrender to God like that, he comes in and he begins to change you. So I'm going to continue talking. Now, we're going to have a time of communion. Ushers, you can start passing out the communion. I hope you guys can listen. We're pass- as, a, as the plates come by, there's little cups in there, and there's two in a, two in a circle. Take two cups. They're, they're stacked. Take two. And communion is for people who have put their faith and trust in Christ. It's a way we express and remember what Christ did. If you're here as a guest and you haven't taken that step and you just want to let it pass by, that's fine. We're glad you're here. But maybe today you say, I want to take that step and put my faith in God. Put my faith in Christ. But uh, I hope as they're passing out, if you look at the screen, I want to share some things with you. 
So James says this, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. See, when you feel disconnected with God, you're struggling in your faith, he says, come close to me and I'll come close to you. And we come humbly. Say, God, I need you. I can't change myself. I want you to transform me, but I'm not becoming the person I I dream that you want me to be. Would you work in my life? You come close to God. You know, C.S. Lewis said he he didn't know many believers who fell away from their faith because someone reasoned them out of it. Someone talked them out of their faith. He said most believers he saw that fall away from their faith, they didn't feed their faith. They weren't intentional about coming close to God. And how do we come close to God? You hear it over and over again. It's not complicated. It's hard to do, but it's not complicated. We come close to God. We say daily, I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to pray. Weekly, I'm going to come to church and be around other believers. They're going to encourage me and pour into me. And I'm going to get into a small group where people know me. And then I'm going to find somewhere to serve. It sounds funny, but when you serve and you give of yourself in your time so often, God blesses you through that and you feel closer to him. I'm going to serve in the church or in the community somewhere. I'm going to serve others. And so you come close to God. And Paul in Corinthians, he says, when you come to remember what Jesus did for you, when you come to take communion and celebrate this, just hold on to those for just a moment. He says, search your hearts. Wash your hands, you sinners. This is what James tells us. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Well, I don't like that part. It's not real cheerful, right? But then look what God does. Since you come near to God, you humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. You come to God, and you just say, God, I'm not good enough. I'm not enough on my own, but by faith, I'm coming to you. I'm asking you for your help. He'll lift you up. And that's what we do together when we share in communion. Um, if somebody could bring me one, that would be great. So what we're going to do. Oh, yes. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. So what we're going to do is uh, just, if you don't have your cup yet, watch for the tray to come. But if you pray with me, just reflect for just a moment on your life. Talking about a lot of areas, but is your faith transforming you? Ask God to show you where you need to trust Him more, where you need to take steps of faith, where you need to cooperate with Him. There's something He's asking you to do you haven't been doing, or you've been trying to change, and it just doesn't seem to be working. Just do what James said come to God, come near to God right now in your heart. Just say, God, I'm coming to you coming nearer to you? Would you come near to me? Would you change my heart, grow my faith, change my character, transform me? God, we thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he took our place. He he paid the penalty for my sins. And that when we trust you, we, we believe that you've forgiven us. You've paid that price. And you come to live in us. You come to help us, God. And I pray you would help us right now as, as we come close to you. We come to remember what Jesus did. I pray that you would fire the faith up in us and change us and bless us, God. That you would lift us up to be the people you want us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you take the bread out of the bottom cup, you kind of have to separate your cups. And uh, pull that little piece of bread out, little cracker. It just represents, Jesus said, this represents his body that's broken for you. And the blood represents his 
uh, the juice represents his blood that was shed on the cross for your sins. And if you take that together with me, we're just remembering, we're pausing. This is to fuel your faith, to remember what Jesus did for you. And take that juice. And this is just a symbol. It doesn't magically do anything in us, but as we remember, helps us remember what Jesus did. This is like the spiritual bread and life for us. Now, the last thing I want to share with you as we wrap up on that is that, you know, as you come near to God and he lifts you up and you cooperate with him and you try to obey, it's like God strengthens you. He comes alongside you. He helps you to keep going. And look what the Bible says he'll produce in your life in Galatians. When you come near to God and you lean into him by faith, it says the Holy Spirit produces this. See, we don't produce the fruit. The Holy Spirit produces it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, you may have some of those qualities in your life, but I, I know I don't have as much of those as I need. I know I have a lot more in my life since I've been trying to follow Jesus and live for him. And I know God's still working in me as I, I live by faith one day at a time. He's growing me. And you know what the beautiful thing is? As you surrender control... See, Americans, we don't like to give up control, but you surrender to control, God will he'll come to you. He'll help you. And you know what? As you give God control, you begin to have more of these things in your life. You know what happens? Your relationships get healthier. You enjoy life more. You live with more peace. You worry less because you have these qual God's changing your character. And then you know what happens? People who don't know Jesus, don't know God, they look at your life and go, wow, you're, you're a little different these days. You're a little less stressed. You're a little more loving. You're a little more kind. You have a little more self-control. What's going on in your life? They're seeing that faith that you have in your life being lived out, and it's very attractive to them. And believe me, guys, we live in a world right now that needs these qualities more than ever. People are hungry for this. So would you pray with me? Thank you for letting me share with you. God, as we, we bow our heads before you, we just we thank you for the book of James and God, we thank you for your grace and mercy that you forgive us of our sins when we come and put our trust and faith in you. And God, I pray that you would continue to transform us. Help us to yield control of our lives to you. And God, help us to come close to you. So many things that pull us away and distract us. But God, I just know from my personal experience and watching hundreds of other people, as they come near to you, you bless them, you lift them up, you change their lives. And God, I pray that you would work in our lives. Not just for our sake. I mean, it's a great blessing to receive these gifts. But God, I pray that you would use this change in us to be a blessing and a light to the world that will attract more people to Jesus. God, this world needs you more than ever. And we're waiting patiently while for Jesus to return. And we're going to keep serving you one day at a time, no matter how hard it gets. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.